to we're starting a series right now and this series is called uh what is man what is man this is like an age-old question uh and so we're breaking this down into uh several different uh titles uh so and uh, this title we're going to be dealing with today is called uh spirit soul and body i think it's very important uh, to understand uh, that you are a three-part being uh, most people think that you're just two parts you know, they think that you're just a soul and a body. And some people are even oblivious to that. They just think that I am my body. I look in the mirror and I see the sum total of myself. But you really don't know who you are until you begin to break these things down. So that's what we're going to do tonight. I'm excited to get into this. So let's just jump in. So uh, like I said, you know, just imagine most people, they stand in the mirror, they look in the mirror. They see themselves. They think I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at my failures. Uh, you know, one thing we won't do is we won't lie to ourselves. Uh, so we know ourselves. We know our failures. We know our shortcomings. We know the insecurities. We know what we don't like about ourselves. And so when you stare in the mirror and you see that person looking back at you, I think a lot of us will, will experience disgust. And, and if we don't experience that, sometimes we experience the, the total polar opposite of that. And that is that we look at ourselves and we think that we're really somebody uh, outside of Christ, just in our accomplishments. Maybe we've, maybe we are self-made men or women, you know, and somehow we think that it gives us uh, this ability to 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 be better and feel better, and that you know, and that that kind of comes off as as a. Uh, as self-righteousness, which uh, then we start to look down on people. So, uh, so there's there's a there's a ditch on both sides. And and tonight I want to I want to reveal your true identity. Uh, and so let's start. Uh, first of all, let's let me prove the fact that that I say that you are a three-part being. Most people don't don't know that. They don't believe that per se. Uh, if you go to First Thessalonians five and twenty-three, Paul is talking to the church at Thessalonica, and he says to him, he says, "May the God of peace uh, sanctify you." Holy, not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y, which means entirely. He goes on to say, may your entire spirit and soul and body be presented blameless before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he, he names all three parts of a man. May your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved. And so these are the three parts of man. Well, you know, uh, man is three parts, but you know God created us in His image and in His likeness, meaning that we are that we look like Him, which is the image part. But then also, we uh, are are same in kind. So if God is a three part being, if the tr if the if He is triune, uh, we call it the Trinity, uh, which is all one. It's not three different gods. It is it is one God displayed in three different uh, aspects, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then we also are created in, an in the image and the likeness of Him that we also are composed of three parts. Now, I, I am a spirit, I live in a body, and I have a soul, but that's not three distinct people. That's actually one person, all unified in one. And that's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. He says, your, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. And I'm going to go further to, to, to prove out in the beginning when God created man, how he created all three of these parts. But I want to continue on this line of thinking here that you are a three-part being. Most people think that you are a, uh, that the soul and the spirit are the same thing, but they're not. They're not the same thing. And so you say, well, how do you get that? You know, you hear a person say, well, you know, you're going to lose your soul. And we think that that means your spirit. 
Uh, and then and then there's the question of which one is the most important part of me if I'm part these three part beings. Well, we know that God is a spirit. That's what Jesus told the woman at the well. He says, you woman, you worship, you know not what he said. But God seek, seeketh such to worship him for God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then before that, in chapter three of John, he's talking to Nicodemus. He told Nicodemus that he must be born again. Nicodemus says, how can I be born again? Do I go on my mother's womb a second time? And he says, no, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So God is a spirit. And when you are born again, you are born a new spirit. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away and all things have become new. You are a brand new breed that has never existed on the planet before. And so right now uh, you are a spirit. That's the primary and eternal part of who you are. You are not a body. Your body is temporary. You are no more your body than the clothes that you're wearing right now. One day you'll take your clothes off and you'll change them for something else. And one day you'll take this body off and it'll change and you'll have a new body. So. I want to show you that the spirit, first of all, the spirit and the soul are not the same thing. Well, if we go to um, Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, it starts off and it says the word of God is sharper, is, uh, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword able to divide between the soul and the spirit. So there's a difference between the two. Otherwise, you couldn't divide them. How can you divide the spirit from the soul if the soul and the spirit are the same thing? So it's it is they are not the same thing. So you say, well, how do they break down then? OK, you, like I said, you are a spirit. You live in a body and you have a soul. OK, the soul is the mind, will and emotions. This is the place I call it headquarters, because this is the place that that interprets between what is the spiritual and the physical. Most people only know the physical aspect. They only know their bodies. They only are aware of their bodies. They have no idea of the spirit. And then when they encounter supernatural or spiritual things, they have a really odd reaction to it. Uh, in most cases, it produces fear or somehow it, it produces some sort of uh, uh, superstition or these things that 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 happen. Maybe people begin to to react with goose pimples and things of this nature. This is all just carnal or carnal or fleshly uh, reactions to a to a spirit, whether good or bad. So, uh, so you are a spirit. Okay, let's go to Genesis. In Genesis chapter one, uh, verse 26, it says, God says, let us make man in our own image. Okay, and then the very next verse, verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image and the image of God created he, him, both male and female. Okay, now if you notice something here, now if you were to go back and you would read all of the creation account, because man was actually created last. Everything was created was created first. And the, on the sixth day, God created man. But man was the only animal or entity, if you will, that was both created and made. Most everything else was made. God made everything else. But man, he created and made. Okay, so so what does that mean? Is there a difference between the word create and the word made? Yes, there is. There is a difference. Okay, so you would think, because in my mind, you're thinking, okay, he meant when he said in verse 20 
in verse uh, 26, let us make man our image. When he said in verse 27, so God created, it just meant the same thing. But in the Hebrew, the words are different. In verse 26, the word made is actually the word asa. And asa means to take something from another substance and form it into it. So, for instance, if you look around you, uh, you're probably sitting at a table or maybe you're listening in your car and, and the, all that things that surround you are what we would call man-made, but they are nonetheless made, meaning that there were, they were once another substance or they once had another origin and they were shaped, formed, carved, or molded into what you see in front of you right now. Okay, so that's the word asa, which means to make. Okay, verse, 26, or verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he them, both male and female. This word create is actually the word bara. Now, bara is different from the word asa, because asa means to take something from something else and to form it into another thing. But the word bara means to take something from nothing, to create something from nothing. Okay, so let's look at this. So God makes a general statement in verse 26. He says, let us make man. Here's a here's a here's an idea <laughs> as if God needed an idea. He says, let us make man in our own image. So he's making a general statement. This is what we're going to do. And then he begins by verse 27 saying, so God then began by creating man. And in the image of God created him both male and female. So the first thing God did was he created man. What did he, what did he create that came from no substance? He created his spirit. And when he created his spirit, he didn't create it in just one gender. It was created both male and female, meaning that at the same time he created the man's spirit, he created the woman's spirit at the very same time and then gave them both dominion. Meaning that if the woman had been, because we knew the woman was not created at the same time, at the same, she wasn't made at the same time man was made. When God gave dominion to man, it would have only extended to the man if God hadn't both created both natures, the maternal and the paternal nature. But when he created them both, in that moment, he made them both equally uh, authoritative over every, gave them equal dominion over everything that God had created. So then he created, so that's the creation of man's spirit. Okay, the next thing is you see that he made man. What was man, what was about man was made. What did he make? from another substance. We know that he made his body from the dirt. So dirt existed, it was there, and God then forms, which is the word made, he formed man's body out of the dust. Okay, so now we have, we have the creation of the spirit and we have also the forming or the, or the making of man's body. Okay, so now we have one more that we need to look at because we see the body and we see the spirit, but where does the soul come into play? When we have both, we have the spirit and then you have the body, what God does in chapter two of Genesis is he breathes breath into the body of Adam. And when he breathes that breath, he places that spirit inside that body and that 
body became animated. It became a living soul. In other words, man was not conscious. He had no consciousness before that until God breathed that spirit into his body. And when he did, man came to life and became aware of his surroundings. Remember, the soul is the mind, will, and emotions. So man became aware. So this is very similar to what we call today CPR, but this couldn't have been CPR. CPR is cardiopulmonary resuscitation. This would have been like cardiopulmonary cessitation. And so by breathing, because you took a man who was not conscious and breathed life into him and he became conscious. This is God that's done this. And so we have man now, the created spirit, the body that is made, and the soul that became a living soul when God breathed life into him. And these are the three parts of man. We see all three parts uh, being established in the book of Genesis. And so you say, why is this important? Well, I want to, I want you to look at something. When God told Adam, he says, Adam, listen, you can eat of any tree in the garden. All this belongs to you. But there's just one tree I don't want you to, I don't want you to eat from it. He said, because the day you eat it, you're going to surely die. Okay, so we're thinking, you know, the devil comes and he is in the form of a snake and he says to him, Hey, Eve, will you really die if you eat this? Ah, I don't think you will. I think what God really doesn't want you to know is that he's hiding from you all the information. Because he knows the day you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll know what he knows, both evil and good. See, at this point, they only knew good. And so they were tempted. And as a result, they ate from the tree. And if you think like you think now in terms of man just being this one part, he is body, then you will think, well, you know, Adam didn't die. He actually ate from the tree and he lived on up to be 900 and some odd years old. God said he was going to die, but he didn't. No, actually, he did die. Matter of fact, if you look at all three parts of man, the spirit, soul, and body, he did die. He was dying and he would die. What do you mean? He did die spiritually. He was dying soulishly because soulish death is despair, paranoia, worry, fear, hopelessness. This is all soulish death. And we experience a lot of people today are experiencing this till so the depression, uh, all these things that that are just uh, a lack of 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 seeing anything good coming in the future. OK, so this is soulish death. So he did die spiritually. He was dying soulishly and he would eventually die physically. This is the type of death. And I want you to I say this because I want you to see something. Okay, now we know that, that Adam died uh, and all of humanity died in him. So as a result, we all were born spiritually, uh, stillborn, if you will. And so uh, when you look at how God then sends Jesus and redeems us back to life, he redeems us back in the same order that we died in Adam. First thing he does is he causes your spirit to be born again. Remember Nicodemus in John chapter three, he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus 
wasn't sure what he meant. You mean I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And he says, no, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So he had to have a spiritual rebirth. And that's the part that you can't do yourself. That's the part that God takes care of. And it's the most important part because that's the part of you that's eternal. That's the part of you that's going to heaven. That's the part that's important because your mind isn't even as important as your spirit is. Your body definitely is not as important as your spirit is. So God gives you a new spirit and a new nature. As a matter of fact, in Ezekiel 36, 26, Ezekiel's prophesying and he says, a new heart will I give you and I will give you a new spirit. And I'll take out the stony heart and I'll put a heart of flesh within your flesh. So we see that God is promising to give a new spirit. And this is, this is the most important part. But the next part, you say, what about the soul and the body then? Okay, the soul is, how do I get out of? Remember, the death of the soul is despair and it's hopelessness and worry and anxiety. We have people, man, that are just living in this state of hopelessness. You know, the gospel comes being preached and it brings people hope. I tell people I'm out here in these streets, you know, and, and I, you know, and I deal with a lot of uh, a lot of people who are uh, addicted to drugs and, and some people who are dealing drugs like this is these are my people, you know, and I tell them, say, man, I'm out here dealing hope. That's what I do. I'm working for the kingdom of God and I'm dealing hope. I'm here to serve you. What is it that you need? I, I'm, whatever you need, I'm here to help you. I want to give you hope. I want to tell you, man, that God loves you and that God has already paid for sin. All you got to do is accept Jesus. Your debt is already paid if you'll accept Jesus. Outside of him, there's no life. The Bible says, for as many as believed in him, they have eternal life. They are not condemned. But those who believe not are already condemned. So if we don't know Christ, then we're already condemned. But if we do, and when we do, believe and ask the Lord to be Lord, to tell him to save us. Once you've asked him that and believe in him, I'm telling you with all your heart, that he then gives you a new spirit. He changes your nature and gives you a new nature and a new identity. Because my identity is not in the body. My identity is in my spirit. When I'm born again, I become a new creation because the part that's eternal is my spirit. So, so let's go back to this, okay? We know that God deals with the spirit. He brings you to life by the new birth, by being born again, like you told Nicodemus in John chapter three. But in Romans chapter 12, verse one and two, it reveals how to deal with both the soul and the body. The first thing it says, it says in verse one, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable for God, which is your reasonable service. In verse two, it says, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, look here. These two things God didn't say, I'll do for you. These two things he said, you do it. See, he did the, the giving you the new spirit. That's the part of you that you couldn't do. That's the part of you that's eternal. That's the most important part. But he says, to bring yourself out of a state of despair and hopelessness and worry and anxiety, he said, you have to renew your mind. He says, don't be conformed to the world because the world has no hope. The world has no solutions. He says, don't be conformed to that type of thinking, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Now, how do you renew your mind? By the word of God. In Peter, it says that you should have the, the washing of regeneration by the word of God. 
to have our minds washed, to, to be purged of all dead works, to be purged of all the hopelessness. Once you know who you are and you know whose you are, then your confidence will blossom. And I'm telling you, that part you have to do yourself. And then verse one, it says, he says, I beseech you, man, I'm pleading with you by the mercies of God that you present your body. Now, God's not going to take your body and bring it under control. He says, I've dealt with the part of you that you need it dealt with. Like I said, in Ezekiel 36, 26, he says two things. In verse 26, he says, a new heart will I give you and a new spirit. And I'll take out the heart of stone and I'll put in a heart of flesh within your flesh. But verse 27, he says, and I'll, he said, and then I'll put my spirit in you to cause you to walk in my statutes and my commandments to do them. So God says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you a new nature and a new heart to where your heart will be tender towards me, where you'll begin to feel what you never felt before. Man, I'm telling you, when you got saved, the proof of life is that you get out there and man, you might get, man, you might get sideways with somebody. And next thing you know, you're cussing somebody else, somebody out. And I'm telling you, these things happen. And I'm not saying they should happen, but I'm saying they do. And when they do, it's not the fact that they happen. That's not what matters. What matters is how you feel when you're done, because then you realize, man, that was terrible. I don't feel good. I used to be able to do that and I felt so much better. Now I feel worse. I need to figure out how to fix this. And so your spirit will then begin to convict you, bring you, your spirit then begins to bring you under a, a, a state of conviction that says, you need to fix that. You need to go back and you need to apologize because that's not your nature now. See, because you got a new heart, you got a tender heart, a heart that's tender towards God and towards people. And so you, so you can't comfortably do that anymore. So God changes your nature when he gives you that new spirit. And so if you don't know that, then what happens is you will rest under the condemnation of your spirit trying to get you right. And you'll think that God is condemning you and taking and turning his back on you. And this is where a lot of people, because they're not taught this, a lot of people will fall away from God because they have two things against them. They, they have the, the conviction of their own spirit saying, we need to fix that. That was wrong. There's that. And they'll interpret that as God mad at me instead of their own spirit saying, hey, man, that's not that. That wasn't good. That wasn't cool. And then they'll have people will come along and they'll declare to you wrong, wrongly, though, they'll declare to you that you are not you're not a Christian. That's not what Christians do. And you should be perfect. And you're not. No, this is not the truth. God gave you a new spirit to, to govern you, to bring you to a point where you would be able to, to feel what he feels and love what he loves. And when you don't do what he does, then it contradicts the spirit within you and your spirit will not let you rest until you fix it. You say, wait a minute. No, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit convicts us. No, it doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, in John, it says that the Holy Spirit will condemn the world convict the world of sin not 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 the believer the world of sin go and read it it says it will convict the world of sin instead of sin because they didn't believe on the son of god and of righteousness and of judgment but it doesn't say it convicts the believer when you get a new spirit your spirit is holy i asked the question one time i said to someone i said uh so and when God was talking to Nicodemus, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he said to him, he said, you must be born again. He said, now he told him he'd be born of the spirit, right? I said, yes. I said, well, which spirit is he born of? 
He said, well, they'll be born of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So is the Holy Spirit holy? He said, yeah, the Holy Spirit is holy. I said, well, does the Holy Spirit give birth to unholy spirits? And he said, well, no, he didn't give birth to unholy spirits. Why? Because in Genesis, God set a, set a, a, a pattern. He said to him, he said, every, he said, everything will produce after its own kind. So if you're born of the Holy Spirit, then your spirit is holy. Your flesh is not holy. Your flesh is fallen. And as a result of it, it's going to fight your spirit. Paul says this. He said that the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Why? Because the two are not, they're not, uh, the two natures are, are uh, opposite of each other. One is patterned after the nature of Satan, which is the body. Because remember, everything that God, that God created from the ground, he gave to Adam to own. And when Satan came and deceived them, he took over everything that Adam owned and it took on his nature. So God, after God atoned for Adam's sins, which most people don't realize that Adam had his sins atoned by God, because Adam, as soon as the him and Eve had sinned, they covered themselves in fig leaves. And this is actually a picture of the law because you cover yourself with fig leaves today, tomorrow they'll be withered. You have to sow some more. And every day, this is a maintenance thing that has to be done. Every day, you're going to have to fix it every day. Otherwise, you're going to be naked and ashamed. So God atoned for Adam's sins, but there was still a problem. The body couldn't die yet. At this point, death hasn't happened to the body. And so what God does is God says, okay, I know I've atoned for your sins and I've placed you in Christ in the future. But for your sake, I've got to curse the ground so that everything that came from the ground will go back to the ground. You know, I always was, was puzzled by that when God says, Adam curses the ground for your sake. And I say, wow, how could he, how could that be for Adam's sake? He's saying this just like my mama used to do. She'd say, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to spank you. And this is for your own good. <laughs> you know, and so God, when he said that, he meant it. He says, if I don't curse the ground, your body will continue to live and you'll be trapped in a prison of your body with a nature that's been transformed to the new owner. OK, so the body has the nature of Satan in it. It has the desire of the flesh in it. Your problem with sin is not in your spirit. Your spirit is holy. That's you. That's the true you. It's in your body. Your body is what wants to go out and drink and smoke and chase women or chase men or or steal or or covet or all those things that the commandments tell you not to do. The Ten Commandments was set forth to govern lawless flesh. That's what the Ten Commandments was there for. And so when you look at these things that God says not to do, he says this because by nature you're going to do these things. And so God, what he does is he releases you from the power of your flesh by giving you a new spirit with a new nature. But you have the responsibility to make your flesh obey you, to bring it in subjection to you. And the only way that you can do that is you have to renew your mind. You have to get into the word of God and you have to study it and you have to find out who am I? I'm a new breed. I'm a new creature. But who am I? What does God think about me? You know, when God called me to teach, 
uh, about 20 years ago, he spoke to me and it wasn't an audible voice, but it was in my, I could hear it like just as plain as day in my mind. God speaks to me and he says to me to teach. And I accepted the calling that day. And God, I said, Lord, I said, Lord, what, what do I teach? What, what perspective? And I didn't know, I don't even really understand why I would ask such a question, but I, but I understand the answer he gave me. He says, teach my people who I am. He says, my people don't know who I am. Therefore, they do not know who they are. I think there's an identity crisis, just as there are absent fathers in homes today and how it affects the children is that they don't know who they are. And so they seek their identity in everything else and never uh, come into the full knowledge of who they are. There's a, a broken and low self-esteem that comes when you don't know who your father is. And God wants to be known. He wants to know you. He has paid the ultimate price so that he can bring you back to himself. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. It says, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, the sons of God. And I'm telling you, this is so important. God wants to know you. God has made every provision. He has saved you utterly and made you holy. From the moment you believed, your spirit was perfect in the sight of God. You know, he, you were righteous. Not because you did what was right, but because you were made righteous by the righteousness of God. When you, by faith in Jesus, you are the righteousness, the righteousness of God. You are justified, meaning that God has placed you in a status just as if you had never sinned. He has made you sons and daughters now. Matter of fact, 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. Now, do you know that you're already walking in eternal life? The Father has placed all these things upon you. And I'm telling you, you are the Father's heart. You make the Father smile because you believe. Now, we want to put a whole bunch of other stuff on that. And we're going to break down some of those things later. And I'm going to show you that, man, the Father just wants your faith. He just wants your, your belief in Him. He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to stay unified and hooked up with Him. No matter what you do, you are not your body. You are not your, some, your works. You are not your failures. You are not your resume. You are a spirit born of God, holy, justified, righteous, eternal family. So I want to encourage you and we're going to continue to break down uh, some of these things in our next segment. Hope you'll join us. We're st we're st like I said, we're doing this series called What is Man? And I want to talk to you next time about uh, the, the order of creation. Where does man stand in the order of creation from the beginning? And where does he stand now since the resurrection of Jesus Christ? So God bless you guys. We love you. And uh, we hope to you know, tune in to us next time. God bless.